Let's pray and we're going to dive in. We have some, um, some beefy scripture to, to deal with. And uh, we definitely want to, we want to take it for what it is. And I'll be honest, it's the kind of scripture we might be able to nod with in theory, but it, it isn't. It's a jagged pill to swallow because God really loves his flock and wants them safe. So pray with me, would you please? Lord, I pray that you would be with our ears tonight, that there would be nothing in them that would that we would just be, that in any way would stop us from hearing what you want to say tonight. I pray you would be with our hearts tonight, that they would be quick to receive the seed of your word planted upon our hearts. I pray you would be with our wills tonight, that our intent would be to apply what you teach us tonight. Without compromise, Lord, we want to come straight at Scripture and allow your Scripture to teach us without us reading into it anything other than what you want to teach us from it. Let your Scripture speak profoundly tonight. Lord, please, I pray you would be with our minds that our ability to grab a hold of the information and understand it would happen for each of us tonight. And Lord, that tonight you would minister to every one of us right where we're at. Lord, beyond a simple time of singing and uh, studying of your book, let tonight be a night of praise and of worship, of surrender and obedience. And so, Lord, you know what you want to say tonight. I pray you would immerse me in your Holy Spirit. You would come upon me in such a way, Lord, that everything you want to do, you will do through me. Though Everything you want to do through me, you would do through me. And that tonight we'll be further readied. I know that the texts lately have been intense. And you've put us in a season, Lord, of, of really serious, taking our walk seriously. And seriously seeking to apply your scripture in a way that our lives would really be transformed. So we come to this room tonight not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and allow your word now its right, your spirit, his way. May we walk out of here challenged, but also greatly encouraged, being able to say we encountered you now. May we understand not just the words of this, but the heart of it as well. May we understand you better and your call on our life better tonight. Bring salvation and hope and blessing and transformation, revolution. Bring it tonight, we pray here. On this night, this cold and wintry night, rainy and full of lacking trains and packed buses, Thank you for every brother and sister, every person who's come in here tonight. May they walk out of here with more than they came in here to seek. Abundantly blessed, overwhelmed by your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Roughly five years ago, and many of you are familiar with this because we kind of review every week a little bit just to give reference, Paul had been on his second mission trip. He had taken with him a man named Silas who had come from Jerusalem. En route, in the center of Turkey, he picks up, a, assumedly about a teen kid named Timothy, and immediately seeks to go due north and due west. North would have been Istanbul, Bithynia of the day. Due west would have been Ephesus, which was Asia in the day as well. Of which he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do either. And winds up, instead of going north or west, winds up northwest in the area of Troas. Where he gets the vision of the Macedonian man 
and from there will wind up in Europe for the first time. It is now Paul's third mission trip. And on his third mission trip, Paul is now in Ephesus, the place he sought to be in on that second trip but wasn't allowed. And he will be there for about three years at the school of Tyrannus, sort of a school of discipleship. While he is there, he gets a letter, assumedly from Chloe's household, one of the places the church seemed to have met in Corinth, a place he had gone to and planted a church roughly five years ago on that second trip. And he hears a pretty rough report. He says, there's some things we're concerned about here. It seems to have been brought by three guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. And they kind of say this, hey, we've got this situation we're concerned about. The church is a mess. People are suing each other. There's all kinds of um, promiscuity. And they are, and the church is proud of its tolerance. And that's disconcerting. You have pastors who aren't pastoring in a flock that's running amok. People are just name dropping, trying to make sure that everyone knows how important they are by their uh, affiliations with whoever they know or listen to or sit with or whatever. And Paul just says, you know, you guys are carnal. It's just simply that. You are acting like unbelievers in church. God assumes when you come to Him, God assumes you want to leave who you were behind. He assumes that the person that came to Christ is to be crucified so that God can then make a new creation with a new priority list with a new set of appetites. But the church seems to have been dragging the old man over the cross. Now that can happen in any church. Because let's face it, the opposite of tolerance seems to be judgmental. And so when the church comes down on the predators who seem to be looking and being at church for some reason other than Jesus. The leadership looks like tyrants. They're the meanies. Just like your body must be mean because it has antibodies and white blood cells that fight Wicked pathogens that seek to get you sick. And Paul addresses the church. And he does not pull punches. If you want to take scriptural standard, he sees a church that is suing each other, and there's an irony to that because they're so proud of their tolerance of other people's sin to God, but will not tolerate any sin to themselves. Get the idea here that a carnal-based church has no problem with any, anything unless it affects them. Oh, go ahead and go to hell. Why should that bother me? Just don't put any of your problems on me. And Paul looks and he says, do you realize how opposite you have this? How can you not love each other? Because in both of those cases, you're not. To encourage you or to back off while you're in sin is not to love you. To sit and let you kill yourself is not to love you. But let's face it. When you love someone enough to do what you don't like to do, if you're anything like me, I don't like to confront people. I'm a natural fighter, so I have to fight. My only confrontation mode isn't a good one. So somewhere the Holy Spirit has to do something I cannot humanly do. And say, hey bro, what you're doing is lunacy and it is unacceptable to Christ. 
That is not an acceptable lifestyle. Sister, I know what you think you're doing may appear good in your eyes, but let me show you from Scripture how dangerous what you're doing is. And you know if you do that, people are going to get all kinds of wiggy on you. But let me show you in chapter 6 as we get to the final portion. It says this, look at it. In verse 7 when he talks about them suing each other. He says, now therefore it is already an utter failure to you. He says, "You do you realize how much of a failure it is to stand before the unsaved world and go to court against another brother or sister? He says, well, why don't you rather find, kid, is there not one wise man in the church that you'll both submit to his answer? That's the first option. The second is, why not rather be wronged? We spend so much of our time trying to get ours and we've got rights and how dare they, who do they think they are? And then you do all of that for what purpose? And in the end of it all, yeah, maybe you got your back, whatever it is. While the person that judged you is convinced that there's nothing in Jesus that, we, that, that they need. But look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. One is the, the first term, homosexual, speaks of an effeminate individual. A man who dresses like a woman, a woman dresses like a man, that's the idea. A sodomite, thief, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is who you are, don't even pretend. Don't even pretend. Now, here's the good news. Verse 11. But such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. See, this is the apex because we're about to move that next week, God willing, to chapter 7 where he starts answering questions. It's sort of like ask Pastor Paul questions because Paul was a pastor at the church in Corinth for about a year and a half. Longer than he was at the church that sent him in Syria. In chapter 5, Paul said that we are to not even eat with a brother or someone who calls himself a brother or a sister but claims this type of lifestyle and says it's okay. Don't even eat with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't even pretend like things are cool. And understand, you go, well, that's harsh. It is so much better than giving someone a false sense of security. When you say, oh, no, 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 go ahead and go, you know, scope the guys. Go ahead and stalk the chicks. Go ahead and whatever. Go ahead and go and get wasted all the time. Go ahead and, because when you do that, you drag other people into that sin. And God's like, we are not going to tolerate that in the church. Now understand, if you come in here like, this is a problem and I'm willing to admit this is wrong and I want to change it. Hallelujah, let's deal with it. But please understand, that's what the scripture says. That standard has to be held to me just as much as you. But there are two groups of people that deal with sin. There are those that pretend like it isn't sin at all. And there are those who deal with it. In 1 John chapter 1, there are actually three things you can do about sin. One is you could just deny it exists at all. It's if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. And His Word has no place in our lives. If we say there's no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would you want to try to justify your sin when God could do it for you? Why would you want to pretend like it's not a big deal when Jesus hung on the cross for it? And he says, you know what, with that guy that was sleeping with his mom, anybody that has that type of lifestyle where they're not willing to repent and they're clearly at church for some other reason, then he says, look at when it gets to that point where you realize what's happening here, you warn them and then you say, look at go out into the world until you're done with it. And when you're done with it, then come back. 
You go, that sounds harsh, but please understand, what God wants is He wants to see that person restored, and He wants to see the church safe. It took me to be a dad to understand this. In all the years of pastoring before I became a father, I knew that that was the standard, but it was a rough standard. You know what happens when that happens. Until you read 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, where the same guy that got kicked out in in the first book gets restored in the second. So what happens when you say, hey, that doesn't play here? You have two options. Agree with me, this is wrong, or go out into that until you're done. And you say, but what happens? Well, I might lose a friend. Maybe they'll never come back. Can I just say, they aren't with you now anyways. And that's the hard thing to realize. Because there are people who can stare you straight in the face. And you think that you have their heart. You know they have yours. But they are just not with you. Because if they were, they would repent. They'd agree with you. Amos says in 3.3, how can two walk together if they don't agree? If you are running to Jesus and your friends are running in the other direction, how exactly can you hang out? The best you've got is neutral. With that said, we are becoming more and more aware of our need for a Savior constantly. And that's the good news is in all of that he says, but he gives more grace. No matter what it is we become aware of, he is willing to forgive if we're willing to lay it on the table. And now after five and a half chapters, he leads us to this area now starting in verse 12, where he gets to the base of it all, and the base of it all in the simplest sense is appetite. Read it with me, would you please? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, the stomach for foods. But but God will destroy both it and them. Been wanting for a long time for God to get rid of that big belly. Don't worry, there will be a day. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Don't you find it interesting how God started this by comparing the base appetite of food and the base appetite of physical relationship? Do you see how he put those two together? We'll deal with that in a moment. God has raised up the Lord, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He says, do you not know... That your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. This section starts with one of my favorite standards. Please follow me on this. God assumes that when you get saved, when you've, we all start out sinners, Jesus dies on a cross for us, raises from the dead, and asks if we'd like to receive that gift to become a new creation. Now, when you get saved... You have to start reprogramming. Because not all of your apps are going to work in the new operating system. 
Some of them flat out will not work at all. Some will labor along for a little while until you realize God's got a better app for that new operating system. And before we were saved, if you're anything like me, we kind of lived this life that was kind of like, can I get away with it? What's the punishment if I don't? Because he even tells us in Romans that it's now a different standard. Before this, it was actually for fear of punishment. That was how it played out. We didn't want to be punished. Back where we came from, they did a survey of the university that was about 15, 20 miles away from us. And they asked, if you could rape and receive no penalty for it, how many of you would? Of the men, 94% of them said yes. 94%. I was amazed that over 50% of the women said yes. I don't know who they were interviewing. The idea that you would do it unless you got punished. And we live in that world. Can I get away with it? And you have ministers, for lack of a better term, archbishops and deacons standing up and saying things like, it's okay to steal from Herod's because Herod steals from you anyways by their prices. Try that in the court of law. Well, my pastor said, I'm not saying that, so don't you dare try that. You know, If you do, don't say you come here. Anyways. <laughs> I don't want to be accountable for that. But he says, now it should be for conscience sake. That's the difference now. Because now it isn't about, well, what if I don't get caught? Because if that's the problem, then actually think about it, then police are bad guys. Because they're the guys that administer getting caught. But as a Christian, can we really look at life like that? So then we get saved. And we take that, can I get away with it, mind into this new walk with us. It's an app that doesn't apply anymore. But that's the way it sounds. Pastor Tony, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Is it, well, there was this movie, and I don't know if I should really see it, but is it okay? As if what I'm going to say is, well, my son, if you do, if you don't, if you really do it, you're going to hell. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Romans taught us that anything that is done outside of faith is a sin. Do you know what that means? If you're not sure, don't do it. It's kind of that simple. But hear me. Somewhere down the line, as we grow, we go from sinner to saved. We move from saved to student. He assumes we'll all go there. That we'll actually open up that book and want to become more like Christ. But as we move from student, we study Christ... He calls that word disciple, by the way. And then from that, he wants us to become servants. That's what we grow to. To seek to serve, not so that we can get a few more points, to tick a few boxes, but to be honest, because we just, out of the love we have for God, we love each other, and we want to encourage each other. And somewhere where we move into this area of service, there is no more room for, is this okay anymore? Can I do this and still not go to hell? Can I still go clubbing, Pastor Tony? Can we go out and and slap down a few Guinness and then, is that okay? Hey, if you're not sure and you have to ask me, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I guarantee you what I'd tell you is, if you're not sure, then just don't. So you're married. And you think, you know, I'm not really sure, but this could really crush my spouse's heart. Ah, let's do it anyways. Really? What kind of relationship is that? But we'll do that with the Lord? But listen, Paul says, though it may be permissible, the question is, but not everything edifies. And this is, and can I just say, as a pastor, seeking to see every person raised up into their giftings. That's what you start looking for. 
You start looking beyond that point of the person that says, all right, well, is it okay? You know, can I, is this, is it really that bad? Will it hurt? And you start seeing the people that actually, the coin flips all all together and they're like, but will it help? And that's an entirely different thing. If you're still in the will it hurt, hey, just continue to grow. Let the Lord continue to minister, but don't be there forever. Grow to the place where you start asking, will it help? Because all of a sudden you start to see that if it doesn't help, well, then things change. Things that Jesus didn't just save you so you could say no. And that's a great place to start. I gave my life to Christ, and now I can say no. Someone says, hey, you want to get smoke? You don't want to have the smoke with me? I'm like, no. Hey, that's a great place to start. But understand, as he continues to grow us, look at Jesus saved us so maybe we could say no, but he grows us so we could say yes. Yes to when someone says, hey, you know, I know you're busy, but do you have a couple minutes? Hey, I need, I need a favor. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you, but... When you start saying yes, you realize, because you're saying, well, what will it benefit? Do you see the difference? And what's really weird is some things actually segue for some people and don't for others. I know a guy that when it comes to football matches, man, he'll invite a bunch of unsaved guys over, and any break he gets, man, he's like, you know, we're going to turn it off, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and you guys can all come into my house, watch the big screen, the whole bit, but you're going to hear about Jesus, and we're going to eat together, we're going to have fun together. That's up to you. You just need to know that's part of the the whole package. And he decided what he was like, he's like, well, will it help? And he's like, you know what happened is he got a whole bunch of guys over. He tried to make them food, and nobody came over. I don't know how bad of a cook he is. But he actually said, we'll watch a match, we'll eat food, and I'm going to share Jesus. And everybody came. Praise the Lord. And there are other guys, they just shouldn't watch it at all, because it's it's all flesh fest, and then they beat up each other. Anyways, you get the idea. And Paul says, look it. If what you're looking for is if it's permissible, that's one thing. But if you're looking for what really edifies, that's another. And it says, hey, though it may be permissible, I will not be brought under the bondage or be brought under the power of anything. Please hear me. Do you realize what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying is, a Christian can resubmit themselves to the bondage Christ freed them from. And you go, how is it if Jesus gives freedom, but that guy's still drinking? And he was an alcoholic before this. It's like the Lord delivered him, but then he went back into it because you could still go back into your bondage. Hey, the Lord can open up your prison cell, but you could still sit in it all day if you want to. So understand, here's the point. is Paul's going to get down again to this whole idea of, I will not be brought under the power of anything. And then he starts talking about food and sex. Did you get that? And understand, this isn't like Paul's being, you know, like sporadic. He's not giving us ADD lessons here. Paul is actually on a stream of thought. And that stream of thought is, these things put you under bondage. And you need to know that. He goes, let me show you what base appetite, eating. He goes, with every appetite, there is a temporary appetite and a permanent appetite. The appetite to be sexually one with somebody is a temporary appetite. The, uh, the, the appetite to be one with someone is permanent. The enemy has told you that, that he sold it and he markets it quite well. He's told us that that desire to be one with someone has to be sex. But it doesn't market it to everyone. Now this generation a little bit more. Before that with gals it was a, a relationship that's stable and a man who was sex. And that was why there was a period of time where it was like men gave relationship to get sex, girls gave sex to get relationships. Because that was what they were marketed. But the appetite was to be one. Which God created for us to be one with Him. That's the permanent solution. But we can run to the bondage that we came from and say, hey, Let's try to get both. And that's like saying, yeah, I would really like to have freedom and incarceration at the same time. I'd like to be rich and totally in debt at the same time. God says, it doesn't work. Now please hear me, and we'll develop our text straight through. You said yes to Jesus. You surrendered the field of your heart to Him. God assumes, therefore, you should then, he should have a right to plant on that soil. Shouldn't he? His word, 
His spirit, His priorities, His love for humankind planted on that field. And if you say no, do not think for a second God, well, that that field will not have something planted on it. If the field were to say no to the farmer and his seed, weeds will still grow anyways. Because they come uninvited. And I've watched this, believers. Christians that come and then they start getting diverted and distracted. And the next thing you know, they're like, you know, I don't want God's word planted in my heart. I just want to know enough of it to be part of the crowd. And then weeds start to grow. Weeds that are, according to Matthew 13, rise up and choke the life out of what God's already planted. So it bears forth no fruit. Please understand, this is a cry. This isn't Paul just getting nasty with a group of people. This is his church that he had planted. These are people he knows personally. And you can see he's hurting here. He's hurting because he sees these people and all of a sudden it's like a free-for-all. If they could back then, they'd be sexting each other. They would be, you know, stalking each other through all kinds of, you know, sites where they could do that kind of thing. They would be in all kinds of internet pornography. They would be in all kinds of crazy things. And the church would be there and the church would almost blink a blind eye to it just to make... Hey, can I just say, let's just not do that. Let's be for real. And I'm not telling you that kind of stuff, you know, walking away from anything is easy. I'm here to tell you the Lord wants to carry you away from it. Don't run to it. By the end of this chapter, you know what he says? Flee. He doesn't say stroll away. He doesn't say meander your way out of there. As you're starting to look going, uh, what else can I take with me? You just run. You cut the cord and you run. And you run and you run. You don't look back. You run. That's what fleeing is. He doesn't say jog. And we wonder why we have a problem in some area, but we are not willing to flee. Just kind of thinking, I should be able to meander my way out of this, and that's okay. Look at it with me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Can you say... Sumfero. Oh, not bad. Try it one more time. Sumfero. Sum means together. Fero means to carry. The word for helpful is the idea that something helps you carry together. So Marcy has got a big stack of books. Life's a little heavy for her at the moment. And the next thing you know, the girls come by and say, Hey, can we help you carry those? Sumfero. They've been helpful. So imagine if it is that every one of you has the opportunity to burden yourself with things that Christ hasn't given you. Because His burden is light and His yoke is easy. But we load on there other things to make it more complicated. And I'm looking and I say to myself, selfishly I can choose to do things for my own benefit. But... That choice, will it help carry anything for you? Will it help lighten your load a little bit? That's the idea of being helpful. Do you get it? But for that to happen, our hearts have to be actually driven to want to give to people versus take from them. Do you see that? Not just give more books to Marcia, for instance, but service. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. For instance, though food is for the stomach, and stomach was created for food, by the way, God's going to destroy both of them. Why? And what's he telling us? That again, there are some appetites that are temporary. Which is interesting, because I don't know how that works, because I know that there is a feast in heaven, right? The wedding feast. But how is that? We don't have any food or a stomach. Those things are going to be destroyed. So how does that work? But you know what? God invented this. He's got something better up there. Bring it on. 
And then he says, well, if you understand that there are temporary things, you need to know there's something else that's temporary. Sex. It is temporary. Now, by the way, if you died a virgin, you have not been ripped off. That's what the world tells you. That is not what the Bible tells you. And for those of you right now who are single, can I just say, just for your own sake, out of love for you, read the next chapter before it's taught. Because it is a chapter that is like, wow, this is serious stuff. Do you realize you have the opportunity right now to serve God better than I do? Don't believe me? Read the chapter. Decide it for yourself. But this is listen. That's only for this earth. It is not for eternity. So contrary to some cult leaders that will tell you that people are going to be copulating for eternity and populating their own planets, God says that's not the way it works. Contrary to some people who love to get way out there and funky on this whole thing, scripturally, angels are spiritual beings and they can't do this either. Because he says that men and women are married, but it says angels, it says that when, we're, when we are out of this body, we are like the angels. And we cannot be, cannot be married or given in marriage. You are not capable of consummating the marriage once you are done with this body. But can I say, and I don't want to get weird about this, but can I just say a quick conversation here? And we're adults here, so I'm trying not to be crass. But I taught secondary school for several years. Can you imagine that? My first day substituting, I duct taped a student to his chair. It's amazing. I still continue to teach after that. And by the way, that guy is a youth pastor now. An amazing guy. I love him. Adam Weatherby. Bless him, bless him, bless him. Adopting kids. The guy's just great. I attribute it to the duct tape. But one day... I mean, these are virile, young, good-looking guys, about 17 years old. And one day they pull Mr. Holiday into the class and they say, we need to talk to you. And they are quite concerned. And I sat down and I says, yes, boys. Trying to sound mature. Back then I was in my 20s, you know. Yes, boys. It's about four or five of them. And they're like, Pastor, we have a concern. You see, we've all saved ourselves for marriage. I'm like, congratulations, boys. Well done. But we're scared. Well, what are you scared of? We're scared that we're, before we get married, the rapture is going to come. We're just convinced that's what's going to happen. And we'll never be able to experience this thing. That's how I asked them. There's always moments where you pray, right? Because you want to make sure that you give a right answer to this. Because not only do you have to give a right answer, but you know these boys, these beautiful, innocent boys, are going to go home and tell their parents. And that's going to be fun to deal with too. So I'm like, let me ask you something. This physical relationship you speak of, who invented it? He said, God. And where did he invent it for? Here. I said, if God invented that for here, could you imagine what God has in heaven planned? I'm not trying to be weird. The point is, God knows what works well here, but everything in heaven is supposed to be better, right? And all of a sudden, one of the guy's eyes lights up. He goes, ah! I get it. I get it. Man, that's what they need to tell us. No, this pearly gates and streets of gold stuff. That's what they need to tell us. So for whatever reason, it seemed to have worked. Here's the point. Now that you've been brought out from just the temporary to view things from a much bigger place, do you really want to go back to that little world you came from? Because that's what these guys are doing. This idea of getting really just way heady about the whole sexual trip is bondage and you're surrendering yourself to an appetite that's temporary versus... But the, here's the crazy part. God says, but the permanent appetite that I created for this should have been met the moment you said yes to me. So here's the crazy part. You've had your, your appetite permanently met, but you're trying to go back to the temporary place. Isn't that strange? So you were slumming it. And there you were working so hard and you got a tap in a day at best. And you were trying so hard to pay all of your bills. And you were living at the dump somewhere in India. Just trying to find food. Digging through 
through, through rubbish to get anything. And you, were, and you were working, and you were working 70, 80 hours. Last night I was talking to a, a taxi driver because we had gotten, after we went and saw um, one of the shows for several of the people who come to one of our studies. And of course with the strikes and everything, there was no way to get home but a taxi. And so the good news is, that guy's stuck in his car, he's not jumping out. And that's, you know, for us, that was a 35-minute drive where he's going to hear about Jesus. From Bangladesh, really great opportunity. Pray for the guy. His name is Usim. Uh, it really, anyways, he's a very, very sweet guy. Um, and he, he just heard about, he just heard the whole thing, man. We, you just come out with your guns loaded while all my girls are falling asleep and drooling on each other in the car. I, you know, I'm just going, hey, you know what, let me tell you. Because he's like, you know, oh, they're all the same, God. I'm like, well, I think you might want to think this through with me. And so as we kind of walked through it, he started to tell me about where he came from in Bangladesh and how he worked 70, 80, 90 hours a week for roughly about 70 pounds. Which, by the way, he thought was great money at the beginning of it all, but it barely paid for anything. They were living basically outside the dump. It was a very rough life for him. But imagine if once that happened, and of course his boss was terrible, you didn't have a right to any hours, you basically were kind of owned by your boss was the idea. But imagine if that individual one day moved here and won the lottery. And he became wealthier beyond his wildest imagination. Bills were never to be considered anymore. Nothing was to be concerned. Are you with me so far? His time was free to do as he wished. And now could you imagine if he, with all of that money still, chose to move back to Bangladesh and work for that guy? Wouldn't that be crazy? Because you know, and he wouldn't have say anymore, his pay would be terrible, his life would be horrible, he was, he was barely living and surviving. But he has the freedom to do that, doesn't he? But he himself said, why in the world? I was just like, do you miss it? Do you, uh, do you find yourself a Londoner or a Bangladeshi? What do you consider? He's like, oh, a Londoner, why would I want to go back? And he started going, and, and that was what hit me as I was contemplating this scripture. It's like, why would you want to do that? But do you realize every one of us, spiritually, that's where we were. We were under the hand of a tyrant who said, jump, and we jumped. And we were, it, it was like he had a remote control, and it was like, and for his own glee, he's like, hit yourself, hit yourself. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? That was what we were doing. It's like, oh, look at, you know, toxins. Let's put that in my body. Oh, let's go try to get a disease. Let's go, you know, let's go fight because that's going to end well. That's our, that was our life. I mean, how does that work? And then we said yes to Jesus and we won the spiritual lottery. And all of our debt is paid. We are free to serve and free to love and free to care. But then we want to go back to that? Why would we do that? You know why? Because somehow the enemy has convinced us that the appetite needs to be met both places. You're like, but, but I have physical desires. And God says, you need to know, those are temporary. But you watch people that don't even have the physical ability to do things, but they still crave something. It's got to be more than their physical body. You say, well, it's, they're driven by their eyes then. You go, yeah, but what about the guys in Sodom who were blinded, but still pressing towards the door? There was nothing left for them to see. And he goes, look at you need to know. Six times in this chapter, he says, don't you know by now? Don't you know this? Yeah, you guys should know this. I mean, didn't I pastor you guys for, an hour, for a year and a half? Didn't you know this? How did this fall out of your head? Don't you even know what that body's for now? That body is not for sex. Hey, if you're married, God has a specific menu for all of those things. But can I just say, your body's... For God's glory. He goes, you know, that same thing, that body of yours, that at one time was an agent or a member of destruction. Everything you did with it got you closer to destruction. And when it says the Lord will destroy the body, and it's like some of us are like, well, I'm just helping him out. <laughs> you don't need to do that. He's got, a, he's got an agenda. Don't worry. Now he says that that same body becomes a member of Christ. You now become a part of Jesus. And you are now, you are now his sanctuary. 
Let me tell you what the sanctuary shouldn't be doing. Creeping. Sanctuary shouldn't be creeping. It shouldn't be hiding in the dark. It shouldn't be waiting for the dark, whatever that dark is, so it could do something. That's not what a sanctuary was created for. So whether that is the anonymity of online, whether that is the darkness so you can go hit the, the pubs or the clubs or whatever. Did you guys see the line on the way in? Do you know what that's for? Prince. I, it's amazing. I, shouldn't he be king by now? I mean, how old is the guy? I mean, like, I'm walking by, and the guys look at me like I'm from outer space. I'm there with my Bible, dopey dopey doo I'm walking by, hey guys, what's the cue for? And the guy looks, he's like, ah, Prince. And I like just started laughing. I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure, there you go. And the line was like, uh, there were 300 people, and it was at 5, 5 p.m., and it didn't open until 7. That means more guys were going to come. And it was raining. And all I just prayed is, Lord, please don't let anyone tell me that they're sick tonight or they can't make it because of the strike. Because I know I want to text back, you're not at Prince, are you? And here's, here's the most amazing thing. It's like, and you know, it's like, but this was, for them, it was belonging. I mean, all of a sudden, people were like hanging out and they were, you know, this is, it's, the line is part of the experience, right? I am, I've been standing here for six hours with you. Hey, we finally decided we should talk. Will you wash my place? I gotta go to the toilet. You know, I mean, it's like we got, there's a, you know, there's, that's, come, that's the closest thing to camaraderie that many of the people in this city will get. Do you realize that? They don't know this. But are we waiting for darkness? Whatever the darkness is, so we can go do our thing. But God says, don't you realize who, what you are? When Jesus said that, that you're the light of the world, he says, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. So could you imagine? God wants to put you on a hill so you could be bright, so all the world would come to him. And you're busy trying to put yourself behind the hill so that no one can see, so you could do something in the dark. Because now, exactly, do you realize at that point, God's like, do you realize we're kind of becoming enemies of each other doing that? Because I'm trying to do something, you're trying to do the opposite. Isn't that weird? You're my son. I've adopted you, I've made you mine. I've cleansed you. I've, I've completely claimed you as my own. And I claimed you. And now you're busy trying to do the opposite thing that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to save you, clean you, wash you up, and actually use you to, to, to bless people. And you're still busy trying to be selfish and hide in a corner and do your thing. Why, why, why would you want to do that? Because of this. Don't you know? That's just the simple truth of it. I <laughs> Yeah, maybe here you know, but here you don't. It's like your head can spout the scripture, but your heart doesn't know, is like vacant of any concept of it. So what happens is your head knows Christ should be all, but your heart's still searching for all of your options still. And that just grieves me, because like, understand, that's not just for you, that's me too. And that's just not what he wants. Here's the good news. Jesus isn't like that to us. Aren't you thankful? And if we live that kind of life, we'll tend to think he's that way to us. And that becomes the problem. And then we're like, how could you love me? Jesus is like, are you trying to talk me out of the deal? So look at The rest of the chapter, the whole thing's addressing appetites. And he goes, which one do you really want? He goes, I created every appetite in its most base sense for me. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, God will destroy them both. The body is not for sexual immorality, but the body is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God who raised up the Lord will also raise us up, with it, if it says, by his power. Don't you know? Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? If you're actually a part of Christ's body, exactly why, how do you want to unite that with a prostitute? Exactly, do you think Jesus wants to do that? Don't you think that's a bit strange? And then he says, well, but don't you know that he was joined to a harlot's one body with her? For the two will become one flesh. He was joined, but of course he starts. And what's interesting is, is, is listen to this. This is David speaking from the Old Testament. Psalm 42, 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David says in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. 
You're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Listen, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. You know what? I'll be honest. Have you ever had that? Like, my flesh longs for you. I get my mind. My mind longs for you. I really want your mind, you to change my mind. My heart longs for you. I really want to feel you right. My spirit longs for you. That all that that my priorities and desires, my efforts would be all yours. But my flesh longs for you. It's like every part of me aches to be with you, Jesus. Oh, God, give us that. Because I get the idea that if I'm going to love God with all of my soul, I have to love Him with all my appetites. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho! It's with an exclamation point. I'm just trying to do it right. Everyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you with no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He says, why do you labor for what is not bread? Why do you work so hard for what does not satisfy? Listen, incline your ear to me and your soul will delight in the riches of fear. Incline your heart to me. Turn to me. That your soul may live. He says, it's not for price. I'll pay it. I just want you to be satisfied in the only place that's going to happen you can't afford. So I'll pay it for you. Verse 17 here says, But he was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. Listen, last couple verses. And I'm trying not to get weird. Or any weirder than I already am. But please hear me. Even the physical relationship was a metaphor. It was a simple metaphor. It was a metaphor because when that particular thing is supposed to happen, nothing else is supposed to be there but the two of them. The two get so unwrapped in each other, it's like the rest of the world doesn't seem to exist at the moment. There's just this total being, two people being consumed. And I'm not trying to get, I, I don't want to take it any farther than it needs to. But understand, God says, spiritually, that's where I want us. It's like that whole thing, strangely, and that, no wonder why the enemy has worked so hard at trying to pervert that and make it dirty and cheap and tawdry and all of those things, because if he can make it all of those things, the idea of being one with God is almost impossible to grasp without feeling guilty, feeling weird. We say the word pleasure which God invented, the Garden of Eden, Chedden means pleasure, it was the Garden of Pleasure. Our mind could go in crazy places because the word has been redefined by the world. And it does it with everything. It's like, no, it's, if chocolate's really good, it's sinful. I mean, that's what they say. Those are, the, those are the kind of adjectives that are used. It's like decadence. Chocolate cake. Really? Then don't eat it. Doesn't sound good to me. It's wicked. Don't go near it. I had a friend tell me lately, I was like, you know, I was in the Word and I was just praying. I had this night where I woke up and for two hours was just intimizing with the Lord. It was a beautiful time and they went, wicked. And I went, no! Huh? Kind of the opposite. I get the idea, it's just kind of a common term, but be careful. It says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Just be careful. People say, you know, it's like, hey, you know what, man, God healed me. And they're like, sick. You're like, no. That was before. So this is how it ends. Flee! Look at the word. And not just the guy who plays his bass without it being plugged in at the Super Bowl. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside of his body, he commits. It's like, look, you want to sin, you're going to hurt everyone else. This is the thing, man, you're just, wait, you're just flat out hurting yourself. And then he says, the last, don't you know? Don't you know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? Don't you know somebody already dwells in that body? 
I mean, look at the two things he says in this last part of it that don't you know. And the first of them, don't you know that you're actually a member of Jesus? So what do you want to attach Jesus to? You want to attach Jesus to a harlot? Not that way. I want to see them saved. And then he says, don't you even realize here the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you? You're a church. Do you want to take that church and put it inside a brothel? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to take that thing, and worse yet, what you're actually doing is you're taking the church and making it, it a brothel. Is that what you want? Do any of you ever get torn up and angry when you actually see how a beautiful building like this gets turned into a pub? And you think, ah, oh, man. And the Lord's like, hey, well, don't let that happen to you, buddy. Because this is just a building now, but my sanctuary is you. What's in you? Man, I want Jesus. That's what I want here. Flee. And by the way, what the word means is to run in terror. The idea of it is don't walk. This is what Joseph, when he fled from Potiphar's wife, he didn't go, oh, hold on, before we actually, before I run, can I have my coat back? He left his coat and ran. People are like, I have a problem with internet pornography. I say, flee. Get rid of your computer altogether. But I need my computer for what? Emails. Really? Do something strange. Call them. I can't put a filter on it. It will slow it down. That's not fleeing. You have a problem with something, shut the door, seal it up so it's not a door at all anymore. People are like, I can't even be a part of X3 Watch. Well, what's that? That's just where your browsing records get sent to somebody else. I think one of the reasons why internet pornography and things of its like have such a stronghold is because it makes people anonymous. And the moment you're anonymous, now you're not driven by, if you're not driven by conscience, you can't get caught is the idea. So you do all kinds of crazy things. Stop being anonymous then. Moses fled from Pharaoh. And then Moses fled from his stick snake. Remember when he threw it down and it became a snake? Why did he flee? He was afraid of it. Sisera fled from, by the way, Sisera fled from Barak. Israel fled from Goliath in 1724. And then David stepped in and then the Philistines fled from David. Ha ha ha. You get the idea of fleeing is not, I mean, when, Dave, when Goliath jumped out at this thing, you just didn't want to be near it. David would flee from Saul. Disciples would flee Jesus at his arrest. And I don't want to be guilty of that. We saw one of those little videos lately. Uh, have you heard of this thing? It's called the Goliath bird-eating spider. Have any of you heard of this thing? It's bigger than my hand, and my hands aren't small. And it's this guy, and it's always Australians. I don't know why it is. Maybe they just get bit and stung by so many things, they become immune or whatever. Right? We said, oh, let me tell you, go, I'll see this thing, go, I'll see this thing. And they're like poking a stick in this thing. And the burrow is like the size, you could stick your head in it, but don't. Right? And this thing comes, pop, comes flying out. And the guy's like, oh, you, oh, look at this. And he's got this stick, and the stick's like the size, it's like the size of a part of his arm, like the, the front part of his arm. But the this, this spider takes over half of it when he kind of gets, and he finally gets it up on this thing. And this spider's kind of crawling. He's like, oh, look at the fangs on it. It's longer, longer than a cheetah. Longer than a cheetah is. And you're like, all right. And he finally gets this thing to crawl on his arm. And you watch this guy, this guy and he's like, oh, it'd be, it'd be really bad if it stung me right now. And we're thinking... Wow, you had to tell us that? <laughs> who, do you, who do you think your viewers are, right? And it gets to this point where it like consumes his elbow. And he's like, oh, she's like a little irritated right now. I'm like, yeah, this is getting worse. And you know what that, you know what that means? If you're a guy, ladies, maybe you're like this too. We, I can't turn it off now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, that's the worst part about it. And I'm like, I'm like oh, gonna, oh, what? Ooh. <laughs> is it going to buy them, right? Oh, this is going to... Oh, it's really... You know. And finally, he gets this thing, and it's like, in a burning spider, it's like these two things fly up like this. That's a bad sign. That means attack. But it does this thing first, and I thought this was interesting. It does this thing where it rubs a couple legs together on its hair, because it's like a tarantula, just to make it even cuter. And, and it's like, not everything furry is cute, ladies. So, right... It's not like a Care Bear spider. And it does this thing, and it kicks the hairs up, and it gets caught in your eyes and in your nose and your lungs. And he's like, and he's like oh, it's in my lungs, but I, can't, I don't want to cough, because then she'll definitely bite me. And at that point, I'm like turning it up, right? You know? <laughs> Getting it full screen. Wow, this is, right? 
and I'm why, why am I even telling you? Oh yeah, so so and I'm watching this whole thing happen and I'm looking at this thing and thinking, how often do I do that with sin? You know, and I'm like, oh, it would be really bad if it bit me right now. And of course, everyone else is going stupid, like, like you had to tell me that. But we're all sticking our hands in things like that and letting these giant things crawl up. But the funny thing is, is that when, what happened at one point is he kind of had to kind of, he kind of had to get his hand and it crawled on his hand and he had to get it on the other hand and, you know, and then finally, as it, it kind of fell down, as it fell down, the, even the, the camera went, we go, we go, we. What happened is everybody fled the spider except the guy, right? Because now he was going to run somewhere. And now it was like everyone was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And everyone's just fleeing. Of course, at this point, you're getting sick because they're watching the camera. Oh, oh, and I'm like, oh, I didn't even bite him. You know, all right, okay. But, you know. And, and that's like, but I, I, I remember that and I'm thinking, okay, but, it, but who was the smartest guy there? The first one to flee. The bottom line. It's like, yeah, but we got shots of it. And yeah, it's like, well, that's great. Congratulations. You can say, the guy was in his eyes. Yeah, like, the guy had to go to the hospital. It was really a great story in the end of it all, right? I mean, why? Because he got close to this thing. The good news is he only got like the primary, the, the, the sort of primary defense system. He didn't get to the secondary hard slash and grash into it, right? But it's like there are times where you feel like you did okay because all you did was you just got really irritated by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, huh? You should flee now, right? See? See? Did you get the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Not out the window, though. Okay. Please hear me, beloved. As we now go to prayer. That was pretty good. She was like fleeing. What do you need to flee? What do you need to flee tonight? What is it that... Now, hey, look it. I'm not talking about... Something that has the potential of, you know, you know, it's like, hey, if you're not sure, get out of it. But what do you know, man? It's like, hey, look, at that thing is a Goliath bird-eating spider. And some birds are the size of your feet. And it's crawling near your foot right now. And you're making it sound like this. Bad, bad, bad. What do you need to flee that you're not fleeing? And you wonder why you're still kind of putting yourself under the power of it. But God, you're bigger. And God says, yes, let me tell you how big I am. I gave you legs. Out of love for you, I gave you legs. Flee. And you're like, God, I'm just waiting for you to pick me up and carry me out of here. And God's like, I gave you feet. I gave you legs. Get out. And you're like, well, I don't know, man. I'm just waiting for the power of the Lord. And God says, I'll tell you the power of the Lord. You're going to a Bible study and that pastor's going to crawl up your grill and tell you. Now, what are you going to flee? You got a problem with you got a problem with the internet? Flee it. You got a problem with gossip? Tell every one of your friends, hold me accountable to this. I am not going to be anonymous to this anymore. I'm not going to play this anymore. You got a problem with drugs or alcohol? Well, you, you know, let's face it, drugs you shouldn't be near anyways. But can I just dare say alcohol's a drug? Deal with it. Now, with that, do you have a problem with it? And you're thinking, don't worry, I'll just wait till it irritates me. So I have a headache the next day or whatever. Really? But it's a spider that wants to bite you. You really want to play that? Now look at you and say, hey, come on, that's legalism. Can I just say, can we all just grow to the place where we ask, does it benefit? Is there a place where this is going to help carry somebody else's burden? That's what I'm asking here. Can we get to the place where we actually make other people more important to ourselves? Because if that becomes the case, where we actually make them more important, we stop saying, I've got it right, and we start saying, how do I help you? And that's an entirely different world. And God says, you know, you're starting to grow up, boy. Like you're supposed to. And that's my prayer for every one of us. That's my prayer for me. And so as we go to prayer, my prayer is tonight. Tonight. Not tomorrow. Tonight. Fleeing is going to happen. You're going to go home and get rid of. You're going to go home and purge. I mean, not stick your finger down your throat. You're going to go home and get rid of whatever you need to get rid of. Some of you, and look at, I'm not even, I'm not laying blanket things. I'm just telling you, whatever the thing is that's a trap for you, get away from it. Hey, you need to yank cable, yank cable. I can't say there's a blanket statement, but if that is something that traps you, get out. Flee it. I've learned this. You can't fall off the cliff if you're not near it. It's hard to drown in a place with no water. And I just want to love you enough to say that that's what God wants.
But please hear me. Every appetite he's given, he created for him. And with that, your soul has a hunger, your soul has a thirst, and your soul craves intimacy. That's where this all starts. God died on a cross so that he could pay your crimes so you could be intimate with him. Not a wild thought. My prayer tonight is that we as Christians could be satisfied by the one thing that permanently satisfies, by the one that permanently satisfies. So we don't get suckered into the other things and take the brave steps we need to take tonight. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you. I recognize that this is so loving. And yet, in our face at the same time. You'll tell us here, Lord, at the end that we were bought the price. And that price was not cheap. This grace is not cheap grace. We were bought at the price of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And that's serious. And tonight, Lord, here in this room, I just pray that you are not a God of knots, you are a God of instead ofs. That you replace our bad appetites for permanent satisfaction. Lord, that we would not think that if we don't get something this world has to offer, we're going to be ripped off. But every bit of it testifies temporary and passing and temporary and passing. And so, Lord God, I pray tonight, as we confess, Jesus, you gave it all. You hung naked on a cross and bled and died. You withheld nothing so that we could be completely yours. Bought at that price. We're not our own. We cannot demand what we are not the owners of anymore. This is your body. This is your temple. This is your member. And it is not to be united to the world in such a way that is for our selfish pleasures. But to be brought to the world to provide freedom, to speak salvation, to declare you So God, tonight, I pray tonight, you would rally up an army, Lord. And I know the enemy, who also we read, flees when we submit ourselves to you and resist him. I pray tonight as he gets all bent out of shape, because all of the traps that we are so familiar with become vacated. He lost. And tonight, may it become evident... Give us the wisdom, the strength, and the initiative, the desire to flee. And not just flee and then go back, but to flee and live a new life with no longer under the bondage of anything you freed us from. So tonight, Lord, set us free to flee. We confess you, Jesus, dying on the cross for us, paying for our sins, raising from the dead. That new life you offer, Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you, that new life you offer, that's the one we want to walk in. So here we are, we're yours. We surrender to you. Jesus, in your name, amen.